and we did it without making some like Wes Anderson quirk piece about like you know that that makes us look super super stylish and upper class we were doing it literally just kind of based on our brown upbringings That was filmmaker H.P. Mendoza. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. In this podcast, H.P. picks up where he left off in part one. I should mention that, yet again, it's a long episode, and that's because we talked about a lot of good stuff. So let's just dive in. Here's H.P. Okay, do you want to hear something? Yes, about let's talk Target? Coma. That Target? This is uh, Storied Coma. Oh, Let's God. Go. I was in the seventh grade. Oh. Wow, I've never talked about this. You just unearthed something. Let's do it. Might be really humiliating. For me, I hope. For someone. Maybe I shouldn't say his name. Okay, that's fine. Although we're old enough, it doesn't matter. We were in seventh grade. Anyway, uh, Target and Colma. Yes. So, you just mentioned that you totally... You, you apparently understand the geography between the Saramonte area and the 280 Metro Center. Yes. 280 Metro Center, that, that whole Target area, that's like the real Target, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, because everything else is just a mall version of it, right? Right. You know, and, and, and that means something. Mall versions just means, okay, diminished, mm-hmm. cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I was in the seventh grade, and I used to frequent the Walden software, WaldenSoft. In was that Sarah- the same as Walden Books? It was part of Walden. It was it was from it. Walden Books. Okay. Walden Soft okay. was the soft <laughs> Man. <laughs> I know. Poor Walden. I know. Can you imagine? He probably thought that was so cool. So, I would go to Walden Soft almost every day during summer vacation because I was really into programming. Okay. Yes, you you'd mentioned TRS yeah. and... I was Commodore, yeah. And the Commodore and the Tandy 1000. And the Tandy 1000. And my day was about starting at Radio Shack. Yeah. And everyone who worked there, they were like, oh, there goes that weird kid that likes to program. Well, just let him do his thing. Let him do his thing. That was back then. You know, like, I don't think that would happen now. But back then they were like, hey, here goes, here goes that weird Filipino kid. It's like he, he, does, he does things all day. And then at the end of the day, before you close, he shows you what he does. And it's always kind of funny. Um, Waldensoft opened while I was programming at Radio Shack. So I would go back and forth. Waldensoft was the place that had the expensive computers because they were showing off all the software they had. Mm. Radio Shack was the place where they had the cheaper computers that I already owned, like the Tandy 1000. That's mm-hmm. what I had. Tandy 1000 SX. This is all Texas stuff, by the way. Radio oh, Shack and Tandy. Yeah. I know, yeah. yeah this is, this, uh, no, this was not local. <laughs> Fort Worth specifically. Yeah. Just throw it out there, yeah. Where no, I'm no, and, and, and you can understand now why, of course, everything else outside of California to me was magical. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I, I, I would hop back and forth between the Radio Shack and the Waldensoft. And do you know how ceremony works? Like you have basically four wings. You have yes. like Montgomery Wards, Mervins, and Target. Uh, this was the Mervins wing. Okay. And on in this wing you had, it was the nerd wing, you know? Because uh, you also had like what was, um, I forgot what it was called. It wasn't called Vidiots. It was something like that, mm. but it became a GameStop, which mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. now a big company. Yes. Um, didn't matter. Back then, I was like the nerd who will hop back and forth between those two, and suddenly I noticed there was this kid following me around. I say kid now because I'm remembering what it looked like, but he was my age. Um, and 
he would follow me because he was always curious in what I was coding. Interesting. What are you doing just sitting there and just typing all day? Right. I'm like, what are you doing just standing there in a mall watching me code all day? You know? <laughs> Lurker. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and of course, little gay boy, I'm like... Well, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know if this makes sense to you, but like, there, there's, there's a thing that I, I love talking about with other gay people, which, which is when you go through a period of your life where you're like, you know, you're gay. So if there's someone following you, there might be something wrong with them. Right. Meaning they might be gay. Right. 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 So you have to fight that off. Right. You know, it's, it's super, it's like self hatred, right? It's right. shame. Right. Um, so I, I pushed him away. I was mean. I was rude. I was so mm. rude to him, and he kept coming back. Now he wasn't gay. He was just a fellow nerd. He just wanted to know what was going on, and I learned that. I learned he was also Filipino, by the way. Okay. So here they were, two Filipino nerds in the sixth grade. Yes. What are what age are you at that point? Like 11? 12, 11, Yeah. Eleven. Well, I was like I was a year behind, so I was like eleven. Oh right. Um, and he followed me around, and then finally I was like, fine. But you have to tell me why this is so important to you. Right. And he's like, well, because I have a Tandy 1000 HX. Oh. I'm like, I have a Tandy 1000 SX. He's like, yeah, I know. That's why you know it so well. That's why I want to know what you're doing. Why are you making games? Because computers didn't talk to each other then. No, they know. didn't know. No. You didn't know who had there what. Cross-platform, what? There was no such a thing. Um, so I remember thinking to myself, he's a Tandy 1000 guy. I'm a Tandy 1000 guy. We should totally get to know each other. Right. And we did. And little did I know what he was luring me into. He then took me to Waldensoft across the, across the aisle in the mall. And I was like, look at these games. There was a game called Silphied. Yeah, it was made by Game Arts, distributed by Sierra Online. And I remember thinking to myself, I really want this game. And I thought he could hear my thoughts. Because he was like, why do you want that game? Like, as I thought that, he was like, why do you want that game? I'm like, don't you know? This is like the most amazing game, but it's like $54. He was like... So, um, and the first thought I had was, okay, he's a rich kid, right? You know, he's one of them rich flips. Yeah, oh, sorry, 54. rich Filipino kids. Yeah. And I was like, okay, yeah, that you're used to having things. That's not how things work for me. You know, like it, it, my family all. You have to understand, my family all got together. They put their money together just to buy me this computer. Right. You know. Right. Here is this kid telling me, just, just buy it. No, he didn't really mean just buy it. He meant just take it. Steal yeah. It. And I was like, how do you do five, that? Five finger discount. I'm like 11. He's like, uh, I'll show you. And he ripped off the plastic tab. He pulled all the discs out. They were floppies, five and a quarter inches floppy, like like actual floppy. Like yeah, not not, not like three, like, not like three and a half, where it's like you know the little hard discs. They're floppy. They actually flop. They flop. They, yeah. And he just shoved them down his pants. Okay. And I was like. I'm getting the fuck out of here. Like, God's going to strike. Yeah. You know? Okay. Because, of course, the Catholic. You had fear of God. Yeah. So I left, and he followed me. He said, like, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going home. Did you he have re- a funny walk with the thing in his pants? Like, uh, no, no, no. He uh, he was a... I don't he was even... He a pro. He just knew. He was, he was like, just walking normally. And... Um, but you put him in the back. It's... No, he put him in the front. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. These were baggy... Remember, this was like late 80s, early 90s. Baggy pants, if you were a Filipino, that's just normal. Yeah. You know? In Daly City. And uh, he he had these discs, and we went to his house, and we played Silphied on his Tandy 1000. Way. And I was like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Wow, you can do this? And we spent the entire summer stealing games. Oh, shit. Yeah. Statute and of limitations, you're good. Yeah, no, I, uh, no, 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 no. This is he the, did it. He this did is, it is going to end in a way that makes oh. this story okay. Uh, okay. Um, 
basically we then I, I then talked to him about BBSs and like what it means to go quote unquote online. This is 1988. Sorry, BBS. Uh, Bolton board service. Yes. I had a modem. It was it was like 1,200 bods. The phone. Yeah, modem? yeah. You, t- you attach this modem to your phone, and every time you go online, you hear this. And it says connected. And we would go on these things, and you, you you can just find people that were into the same things that you were into. Right. So we would find people, meet them in San Francisco, and I almost said his name. Uh, this kid would be like, hey, here we are hanging at this guy's house that we met met in a BBS. He's into the same stuff that we're into. Let's have him, like, you know, let's have him, like, cook stuff for us. Let's have him show us all of his videos. I'm like, yeah, why? Sure, I don't know why, but yeah, let's do it. And the next thing you know, he's like, yeah, let's steal his sound card. Oh, my God. I'm like, oh, my God. We can't steal Sam's sound card. He's cool. He let us into his house, and he's like an adult. He's cooler than us. And he's like, what makes you think adults are cool? I'm like, because they are, because adult. And he's like, no, just fucking take it. And I remember I was like, okay, wait. I don't know if this is right, which is a stupid thing to think, because at this point, we've stolen over $500 worth of, like, games from Waltonsoft. Yeah. And we stole his card, his sound, it was a Sound Blaster, Sound Blaster 16. Fuck. Stole it, never saw him again. And I remember at that point, I was like, I am a hardened criminal. Yeah. I steal from Waldensoft. Yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, but I'm too addicted. I like having these games, and I've learned, I'm learning a lot about these games, because now I see what all the rich kids are talking about at my school. I know what these games are. I know what it means to have an Amiga. I know what it means to have a Commodore. I know what it means to talk about these games that I normally wouldn't be able to afford. Right. And I had them. And I'll never forget, like, coming home almost every day with this guy and just, like, emptying our pants. <laughs> emptying our pants and, like, putting all of our floppies <laughs> on the floor and just seeing what games we'd stolen. Oh, my God. And, and then finally, one day we went to Waldensoft and um, everyone was treating us differently. And I was like, oh, something doesn't feel right. And so I I was like, hey, name, kid. Right. Um, something doesn't feel right. I'm going to Radio Shack. He's like, sure, okay. I'm out of here. I'm going to Radio Shack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right. My job. <laughs> right. We went there, and they were like, you guys might want to leave the mall. Oh, shit. At Radio Shack, they At Radio you. Shack. And I was like, why? Everyone knows you. what you've been doing. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. And I was like, oh my god, like, 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 you know, I feel like Simba in Lion King, like, Scar's like, run away, never return. Like, I was like, I ran through the Mervins and, and crying and like shaking and thinking to myself, like, oh my god, I'm a thief, I'm going to hell. And, and I stopped to catch my breath and then, and Guy, came, the kid came after me, he's like, Wow, that's hilarious. Wow. Okay, well, I guess we can't come back here anymore. We'll have to find new places. We can go to Egghead Software in San Francisco. Oh and I was like, wow, you are hardcore. I don't know if I could do this. Yeah. He's like, it'll be fine. You know what? Well, while we're out, let's just go over to Target over in Colma. We went there, and they had um, they had a bunch of games by Mastertronic. And for any nerds who might be listening to this, you know what the boxes are like. They're really easy to open. That's why we went there. We stole all the Mastertronic games. Did you, have to get, you had to get them out of the box. Like they had to be in a like box, a, like and Mastertronic had very specific boxes that weren't well well crafted. Cardboard or they were cardboard, and, and like, they 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 had the kind of tabs that you use for like cookies. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you know what I mean? Like they weren't sealed. And this is pre um, like where they'd have the magnet on it that would set off the alarm, or just you just to get it out of the box and put it in your pants? Uh, no, no, or no, no. They had oh. magnets. Oh, but, okay. And, but like getting he, into that phase. This kid knew how to get past all that. So we went there, stole more games, 
stole a lot of games. And I'll never forget at this point, I had, my morality had kicked in. But I don't. The thing is, it wasn't morality. It was more like my ethics kicked in because I was aware of the prices. Was like, how much am I stealing? And I and by the time my pants were full, I'm like, I have on this single day three hundred and ninety dollars worth of software in my pants. Just one one haul. Yeah. And I was like, okay, let's get out of here. Yeah. So I started leaving, and so... Okay, I think I'm a felon now. Let's go. Right. I, I was a felon before this at that, at that point. Right. This, that, that was one day. Yeah. So this kid was like, no, hang on. I want some micro machines. Oh, micro machines. And I was I like, why are we stealing toys now? Right. Now, because that's harder to steal. Right. We've jumped not even genres, but we've jumped... We've Industries. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, or dimensions, because like floppy disks are flat. Now we're talking about like boxes, right? And it's yeah. like, oh, what do we do? Because we, again, we weren't stealing boxes. We were taking the floppy disks out, shoving them in our pants. Easy to steal. He wants to steal micro, micro machines. I'm like, and, I, and I, I was like, well, you know, he's hardcore. He's like mafia. He's probably used to this. And as he's doing it, I was like, have you ever done this? He's like, no. Yeah. And I'll never forget, like, I felt like my head was vibrating left and right. It was a weird feeling. I'm like, what? Like, like, like I just felt like all of a sudden, all I felt was like, like two mushroom clouds coming from my ears. And I was like, I've got to get out of here. And all I saw were Target employees coming for us. And so I tried to leave, and I'll never forget, they're like, not so fast. And I remember the thought I had was like, wow, people actually say that. Because you, you, you hear that in movies, right? That's like the principal in Ferris Bueller or right? something. Yeah. Like, that's, that's what he said. And I was like, oh, we're caught. And... Um, yeah, he'd never stolen micro machines. My mother equated this kid with theft and sin, and right. said this, you know, he because because the thing is, I had to get, I had to call my mom, right? Because they made me call my mom because this kid wouldn't call his parents. Oh, and this he stonewalled him or this hardcore kid, by the way, who I saw as mafia. Yeah, you know, because you know that's what mafia does. They steal yeah. stuff from Walden Soft. <laughs> I. Like my everything was shattered because I'll never forget this woman who who, who caught us. She was the manager of Target. She was like, "You guys think you're so slick, don't you? Coming into my Target, and like, I and I remember I was just like, I, I remember I stayed quiet. I was like, I deserve this. Whatever comes next, oh, okay. I deserve. But di uh, this kid was like, what, he was crying. He was bawling. He was like, please don't call my dad. Please don't call my dad. And she was like, no, you are going to take what I give you. Like power trip stuff, yeah. right? And then she she, she, she she even put her like heel, the heels of her palms on the desk while she like leaned into him. Like bad and, cop? Yeah, like bad cop. And yeah. there was, she was the only cop at that point. Right. So she came back down and she pulled out her compact. And she's like looking at herself in the mirror. She was like, oh my God, I'm breaking out. You guys make me break out. You know what? I look horrible, don't you think? This just makes me look so awful. And I just said what came to my, it just came to mind. I was like, I, I can hardly notice them. And she was like, I like you. How about you, huh? What do you think? What and she God turns to name? my accomplice and he's like, oh, uh, well, I, they're, they're just pimples. You only have like four. And she was like, you shut up. And I, I remember at that point I was like, this this kid's not hardcore. Right, you saw him fully break. I saw him broken. Broken. And at that point, I was like, oh, man, now my mom's going to come. And so she picked me up, and I remember she was like, she was talking about, like, boy, she read so many different commandments to me at that point. <laughs> she was like, you are never going to see him again. You are never going to see this kid again. Yeah. He turned you to sin. Yeah. And I remember walking out of there thinking, that is my lesson and I will never go back to coma again. <laughs>
wasn't. I'll never steal again. I'll never go back. Yeah, it was, it was like uh, that's you. You can't pull one over on the people in Colma. But I'll write a movie about it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. No. No. But they. They. I was put. To ta- I was taking a test for that too. Can we talk about what? So your family moved to Daly City. At that point, yeah. Okay. What brought that on? Uh, I moved to Daly City with my family because my mother decided she'd had enough of her physically and emotionally abusive husband who drove from Muni. Okay. And, um, it which just again, you and her? No, she took your, my two brothers. Your brothers were still there. My okay. mother took me and my two older brothers with her to Daly City to okay. get away from my father. Okay. Uh, like a badass. Yeah. You know? The badass women... I mean, I, 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 I feel like, of course, we always encourage our friends to get out of the relationships they're in right now when they're in, in situations like this. Right. Um, imagine being an immigrant with no friends. All right. of your friends are your husband friends. Right. You know, the only friends you have are other women who are also abused. Right. And she was like, this is not right. I'm, no, I'm not going to do this. So she took us out of the equation. She moved us, and we went to Daly City. Did you go to high school in Daly City? Yes. Okay. I went to Westmore High School. Okay. Which is the high school that I used for Coleman the Musical. Okay. It's about me. <laughs> okay. I mean, I feel like we've already kind of established a lot of different kind of like aspects of who you are today, like video games, music, movies, but. Those are superficial, of course, but, you know, that's all I had. That's all I know. Like, there's probably stuff about me that I'm not even aware of, right? But those are the things you do. They are the things I do, yeah. And you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume you like doing them. I love them. You do them all well. Thank uh, you. Um, but, so, can we talk about, like, was Coma your first, like, movie of, of that kind of caliber? Like, length and... or Coma happened because I wrote, uh, uh... Um, and it's Colma the Musical. Colma the Musical. Sorry. I wrote a fake musical called Colma right. um, for my best friend at the time. And I think to this day, he probably doesn't want me to say his name. Okay. Because, you know, that was, that, was, that was a while back. This is high school, you know? Like, yeah. I just, um, but I wanted to, you know, back, back then, what you did when you were a straight dude who wanted to show exp- uh, express love for a fellow straight dude, you just, like, gave him a card and $5 and shit, right? Mm-hmm. And I think I was at a point in my life where I was like, fuck heteronormativity. I don't yeah. care if he's straight. He's still my best friend. He's going to fucking take what I give him. He's going to fucking like it. Yeah. And he was a th- an actor in musical theater. Okay. Which is hilarious when you're straight, right? Right. Um, <laughs> and... He he was expecting probably another card or something, and next thing you know, he receives a CD of a musical that I recorded all myself, um, me playing all the parts, including playing his part, and I think I do a damn good impersonation of him. Of him. Um, and I called it Colma, and I put an exclamation mark, like, like, like it's fucking Oklahoma or something, right? right. And or Yahoo. It was just Sorry. a joke. Or <laughs> But it was a joke. It was a joke. And this was still high school. No, no, no. This right. was this was like ten years after high school. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it kind of the thing is because he was in musical theater, he just decided, oh well, you know, I'm gonna play this for all my musical theater friends. And he played it for his directors and his actor friends, and like it became this joke. It became a running, a running joke. Like, oh, HP made this thing for me about us growing up in Colma. And you may not have grown up in Colma, but You'll appreciate it. So he played it for a bunch of people. And what happened was it ended up in the hands of Richard Wong, who I went to school with at College of San Mateo. Okay. 
And Richard Wong and I were the were we were the only two who were a year younger than everybody else. It was like, we had a lot in common, and we were also the only film students who didn't want to talk about Reservoir Dogs that year. We just wanted okay. to talk about West Side Story. Right. You know. By the way, Richard Wong is straight. He's okay. just one of those super sensitive straight guys that is into media that most straight guys probably wouldn't be into. And of course, he would find me. Rich Wong, Rich Wong breaks a lot of things. Um, and I think that's what attracted me to him. Because of course, at Got that it. point, I'm like, um, well, if you'll have me, I'll hang out with you. The college, college is scary. So right. like, I could use an ally right now. And we right. just became really good friends. Yeah. Um, he ended up just becoming like Rich Wong, <laughs> and like I just ended up becoming like Philadelphian like theater guy, you know. <laughs> and he became Rich Wong, and um, he came across the CD, mm-hmm. and he was like, "What the fuck is this?" And and my friend was like, um, "Yeah, this was a gift. Uh, he made this." And Rich is like, "I've been trying to get in contact with him for the longest time." And at this point, Rich was Rich was working on Arrested Development, mm-hmm. you know, which which, which I loved. Mm-hmm. And so uh, my friend, who the who Colma was for, he's like, Rich is looking for you. I'm like, give me his email address. And so next thing you know, I like we saved all those emails. I was like, what the fuck have you been up to? Tap 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 tap, like just typing like crazy, and we're playing catch up. And he's kind of feeling me out a little bit. He's like, so if there's anything you want to work on, let me know. Like, I'm looking to get get into film. Uh, you know, like, I've been working in, like, like television for so long. I'm trying to get into film. Like, I've been working in theater and trying to get into film for so long. Since, since you and I got, we're, took film, we, we were in film school together, maybe we should do this. We're like, well, maybe we should do this. Oh, how about <laughs> this? And then finally he's like, what about that CD that you made? CD. And I'm like, oh, that joke? Like, that's a joke. Yeah. You know, and he's like, yeah, but like, if you were to flesh it out, how long would it take? And I was like, and I threw out an arbitrary number because I was like, you know, essentially I was still a kid. I was like 27, 28, like seven days. He's like, cool, well, let me know. And in and, and Rich's mind, he was like, well, whatever number he gives me, I'll just wait for them. You know, he just wanted to know. It was a genuine question. It wasn't he was testing me. Mm-hmm. And so I said seven days. And he's like, okay, well, what can you do in seven days? So I wrote the script in seven days. Next thing you know, it became a fucking movie. Based on, did you write the script based on the CD that you made? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It okay. was the same music. Same and I, music, and I right. wrote new music to to, to, to supplement it. And it for became different a feature parts film. in the movie. Or... Well, well the, so the thing is that the... The CD, this is the funny thing, I think it, this is hard to explain because I think unless you understand how concept albums work, you people don't really know what I mean by this. It was never meant to be a musical. Right. It was It was just called Colma the Musical yeah. as a joke. Yes. But for the most part, it was like Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd or or, or um, specifically on an extra nerdy level, it was, kind, it was kind of like the unauthorized biography of Reinhold Messner okay. by Ben Folds Five. Okay. And and on a not so nerdy but extra queer level, it's also kind of like Hedwig and the Angry Inch, okay. where it's like no, it's meant to be talked about, right? You know, right. like really, if you ever if you ever attend Hedwig and the Angry Inch, you're 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 sitting there, you're watching Hedwig talk, right? You know, you're not watching a big Broadway musical, so I had to turn it into something else, and it became the movie, and um, yeah, that was also <laughs> I don't want to say a joke, but that was the like, movie. No, I don't. And it wasn't a joke, but it was yeah. more like, well, here's a gift I gave to one of my like best friends from since childhood. Yeah. And here's another friend from childhood who like and who went to film school with me who wants to turn it into a movie. 
this is a big friend thing. Like, I'm right. not going to change anything. I'm going to keep them Filipino and Chinese and Latino and whatever. Like, keep it the same and make it about me. I'm, I'll, I'll even set it in the high school that I went to. Right. I didn't know we were actually going to shoot in the high school I went to. I didn't know we were going to shoot in the same neighborhood. And I didn't know we were going to shoot in the actual houses of the parents that I was talking about in the musical. So we're shooting this movie, and I'm like, wow. Those interiors, I yeah, remember yeah, the, those. The, those weren't sets like, like and, and like, and it's really funny how people were like, so like, how did you get that Colma look? I'm like, you, you know, if you were to ask Rich, he would just tell you you shoot in Colma. Yeah. You know? Exactly. And uh, yeah, yeah I, and I, what's really interesting about that is I then learned that a lot of people were holding me with Colma pride, which is really cool, but then I had to reveal to them that I'm from the mission. Right. You know? Right. And I think that some people felt a little betrayed, but like only playfully betrayed, you know? Um, but yeah, that's, that, that, that's, that's how I ended that chapter of Daily City slash Colma. Did you go to college? I went to the College of San Mateo. You already mentioned that. I went there because I was a purist and a snob. Okay. Um, and, you know, I will own that. People have every right to bash me for that. Um, because uh, this was 94. You know, there was no such thing as digital filmmaking at the time. Right. I mean, there was. Sorry, there was. But, like, it looked bad you know it didn't right, look, right, right. You, if you saw anything that was shot digitally you would never mistake it for a movie right. you know so i was like i'm gonna do my research to find out where they're teaching 16 millimeter film because everybody was going digital and i'm like i can't do that mm -hmm. so yeah i wanted to learn on eight millimeter and 16 millimeter film okay. and the college of san mateo was the last place that was doing it so i took a two-hour bus ride to college every day just so i could take that class you kept living in daily city at, the at time. that Yes, I was living in Daly City. Okay. Um, when Coma was, I mean, like I said, I found out about it from The New Yorker. So it, fair to say, it was well received. What was that like? Um, For you specifically, in your role. Okay. I was on stage at Cam Fest 2006. Okay. And Taro Goto was our moderator. And he was also a programmer at, at the Center for Asian American Media. And I remember watching the movie and hearing all these people cheering. For almost like every other line, people were cheering, right? And I, I couldn't grok it. Um, I know what it means now, but at the time, all I felt was, oh, that's so cool. They're probably all classmates. <laughs> How could you not think that, right? Right. Like, Col come on, Colma the music. What an in-joke. Yeah. You know, that's like that. That's like me making like a Tartine the musical. You know what I mean? Like it's <laughs> right. it's so hyper local <laughs> right. that when you hear a whole theater full of people at the Kabuki cheering for it, you're like, well, my graduating class was 500 people, so that's probably here they are. Yeah, yeah. It's you ironic. Know what I mean? yeah. There's no way I could have thought of myself as anything else besides that kid that made some stupid bedroom pop concept album that randomly got taken by Richard Wong's gut turned into a movie. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, it's right. not, it, there's no way it could be anything special. Right. Um, at the same time, it felt special. Does that make any sense? Like yes, it did. Like, I, I it knew that it was special because it happened. At the same time, I didn't want to delude myself into thinking, like, I wasn't like Sally Field at the Oscars. And I was like, you love me. I wasn't thinking that. I was like, well, if there are that many of you cheering, it's because you know me. Right. 
and it wasn't out of the realm of possibility that that, that many people would know me because again if I have 40 cousins then <laughs> I, I could probably imagine that many people knowing me and I don't want to make the kabuki to be something that it's not but it's a theater so maybe a lot of those folks were in a theater and seeing their hometown or their life or yeah. part of their life yeah and that is a big deal oh also so the other the other thing i will say because it was the eight, it was the 800 seat house right because i was like when i found out that we were playing the kabuki i was like oh it'll be the smaller house and they put us in the big house freaked me out uh freaked freaked rich out yeah um, and i'll never forget like brainstorming with rich and how can we get people to come um and i remember the thought i had too right like thinking to myself okay so it is a big deal, but is it a big deal because people want to see themselves represented, or is it a big deal because it's ironic? Because we were walking past people in line. We saw there was a huge rush line going around the block, and I was walking... to Burger King. And it would pass that, yeah. and that passed like Festa, yeah. um, and, and I remember walking by and seeing this like, like super dikey, super hot Asian girl talking to her girlfriend. She was like, it's called Kuma the Musical. How can you not go? <laughs> right. And I remember I was like, there you go. See, yeah. any reason to come see my movie, I'm happy about, right? Okay. Um, but I recognize that a lot of it might have been irony. You know, it's like, right. it's like we're from Kuma. Like, who would have thought to make a musical about it? And they came. And when they were cheering for it, I was like, "Well, that's nice, no, but like, you know, let's let's let, 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 let's be honest. This yeah. is a fi- this movie costs fifteen thousand dollars to make, right. and you know, most of the movies you guys are all used to are like a hundred million. So, thank you for the opportunity. So, of <laughs> yes. course, when like, besides the New Yorker, before that there was the New York Times, mm-hmm. and I was like, you've got to be fucking ki- four stars in the New York Times, right? And I was like. From joke to four stars, and at that point, and, and, and of course, the nerd in me, right? Like, 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 all my cinephile friends are like, "Wow, you know, it's so great! Like, you've joined the ranks of like Cinema Paradiso and blah blah blah." And I'm like, "Yeah, and Nightmare on Elm Street 7. And they're like, uh, "What?" I'm like, "Yeah, it got four stars in the New York Times." And they're like, "Uh, yeah, we can we can forget about that." I'm like, "That means a lot to me." Wes Craven's new Nightmare got four stars in the New York Times, and so did we. Um, but I remember at that point, I was like. Huh, it's so interesting because Rich and I, we went to film school for a reason. And right. we're fucking doing it. Right. And we did it without making some like Wes Anderson quirk piece about like, you know, that, that makes us look super, super stylish and upper class. We were doing it literally just kind of based on our brown upbringings, you know? And Love it. And then we got the New York Times and then the New Yorker. It was crazy. So what was your next movie? Well, so, so I didn't direct Colma. Um, right. And at... After Colma, the Center for Asian American Media was like, well, what would you do if you used our money to make another Colma? And so I wrote Colma too. I did. <laughs> and, you know, it, 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 I'm proud of it to this day, but it's just one of those things that I think might have been a little too biting. Was Adrian's Med in it? Oh, my God. Can you imagine? <laughs> uh, uh, who I think I'm connected to? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. But, um... No, I, 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 th- I, I think it actually went through the Sundance Labs, and we, we, it was a finalist. And one of the people actually said, "I almost want to call out to him right now because he might have been right, but I don't want to call out because I still kind of disagree." He felt like he wanted more arcs. Okay. But the thing is, Sarah Monty the musical, which is what it was called, okay. I wrote music for it, and you can hear it on Spotify. I, I did publish that uh, some of the songs. Um, 
It was a satire. Like Colma was satirical, mm -hmm. but Saramonti the musical was a satire. Okay. On capitalism and religion. Yes. And because Colma the musical was such a big like in joke, I was like, hey, now that you actually want to film, let me show you what I can do. Cause I'm like fucking Kafka meets Wells and Hitchcock, bitch. Okay. And <laughs> I was like, I'm gonna show you what a filmmaker I am. And Rich was really proud of it too. He was like, oh, we're gonna get it. And we didn't, mm. you know. But we were finalists. That was really nice to be a finalist at the Sundance Labs. But um, we, we, we still look at that to this day. We're like, we're going to turn this into this, into something. Um, but what ended up happening was the Center for Asian, Asian American Media ended up giving both Rich and I money to do our own films. Okay. And I, he did a movie called Option 3, which I co-wrote with him. And I did a movie called Fruit Fly, which okay. is a, another musical starring L.A. Renegan from Colma. Yes. And that, I felt, was my chance. Because... Because it's Center for Asian American Media, they were just like, we'll do what you want. And I didn't know if they really meant that, so I wrote a script that was really, really specific. Right. And a lot of the critiques I got for Colmo was like, well, it's a little too gay to be Asian, or it's a little too Asian to be gay. Right. You know? Yep. So I wrote Fruit, so Fly, Fruit Fly, which was so gay and Asian at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, my, my thought was, I'll write this, and the Center for Asian American Media will tell me where to pull back. <laughs> where to chop down, where to cut, where, where to rein it in. And one of the producers, Don Young from the Center for Asian American Media, emailed me. He was like, he's like, we love it. Let's do it. And I was like, wait! <laughs> wait I went really overboard with the script. And, and then when I found out that people were, re, were, re, were really reacting well, responding well to how overboard it was, because I mean, come on, it's pretty gay and pretty Asian, right? Right. And, and, and in a way that I purposely was like, I'm going to make this so gay that a lot of Asians will hate it. And I'll make this so Asian that all the racist gays, which there are a lot of you guys out there, yeah. would hate. So yeah. when Don Young was like, let's do it, I'm like, oh, okay. And we did. So that's what stands as the first movie that I ever directed. Okay. I actually, I did compose the music, I wrote the lyrics, and I did you know, do the screenplay, but that's the first one I directed. What year was that? 2009 when we shot it. Okay. But when it got its theatrical release was 2010. Okay. And then, at what point are you like, oh, I'm gonna keep on mo making movies? Um, I mean, because you have made more. I have made more. I think the part, the, the point where I said, okay, I'm gonna keep making movies, was Colma. Like, I was like, hey, you know, like I, now I know that like people actually like to see what I make on the screen. Maybe I don't have to relegate myself to black box theater and being a keyboardist for electro bands in Philadelphia and New Jersey. I will st keep doing the, that stuff, but I'll also oh, make movies. Oh, no, but I've elevated it. I've elevated it, though. Okay. The one thing I just... I think I can, enca I can encapsulate everything that, uh, around that into one thing. My mid-Atlantic life in Philadelphia and New Jersey was spent being so afraid of all the artists around me that I would do whatever they want that when I did suggest anything remotely mine, it would get shot down, and I thought, and I would think to myself, "Oh, well, they're right because they're white." Mm. And you know, that was part of my kind of racial awakening, if I could be honest. Right. It wasn't Colma. Colma was not part of my racial awakening. Okay. I think because it was, I was surrounded by people who looked like me. Right. I, that sounds like a really shitty thing to say. No. Um, but it's true. Like, I'm very grateful for the Coleman experience, but for the most part, I was like, well, I'm doing what I've always done. I've always hung out with people that look like me, you know? Right. And so for me, I think the real racial awakening was being like, like injecting myself into like white spaces and saying like, no, but what about this? And then being shot down, right? Right. Um, and so fast forward, I was 20, 
seven at the time. Fast forward to like me at 44, and here I am doing everything that they've been doing, but with my authentic voice. Yeah, that's a racial win. Yeah, that's that's, that's that's you know like that's that's part of my awakening. I kind of feel like there was no actual door I walked through. I feel like I'm racially awakened. Like it's mo- it's mostly about me navigating the spaces that I've been handed. Right on, and we're here to um, celebrate that, congratulate that. Thank you. I think it's important in this month. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. not just because it's Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, but also because we've had a spate of Asian violence. Oh. Over the past, let's be really real. Yes. This might be the cocktail speaking because I'm totally going off tangent. But if you if you would indulge me for a second, absolutely. I'm really happy that people are talking about stopping the Asian hate. But let's not make it sound like it was just because of the pandemic. It wasn't just in the past year. We've been seeing this since 2016. Right. We've been seeing this, and people accused us of being oversensitive. Um, um, interestingly. In hindsight, I look back. I'm like, oh, all the people who accuse me of being oversensitive about the I, about the the uptick in Asian American hate, a lot of those people were uh, Trump supporters, right? You know, and hate now and, hate and violence. Let's be totally What's that? hate and violence. Hate and let's violence. Be, yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah. I mean, yesterday we've had one three two. in in right. San Francisco. In San Francisco. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Uh, two bashings, one stabbing. You know. So um, yes. Let's celebrate that. And thank you for being with me to celebrate that because I kind of feel like anything that an Asian American does right now that's positive is a win against the hate against us. Absolutely, 100%. Another thing that I had, uh, was a part of as a participant, as a, as a consumer, um, was your takeover of the Asian Art Museum in San Francisco. Oh, the Mission Arcade, yeah. The Mission Arcade takeover of the Asian Art Museum. Can we talk about that? First of all, thank you for coming because I... I, I <laughs> like I... I think I told you this then. I didn't know you were there. Right. Until I saw the pictures you that you posted. You didn't need to know I was there because there were like hundreds of people there. It was a really well attended, awesome, freaking event. Well, thank you for saying that because the way I see it, I didn't see you because I was too busy packing and wiring things. Like, right. It, 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 it was such a DIY operation. Yeah. And uh, Masashi often talks about like what like a you know what a fun night that was and you know like how you know they would love to do something like that again which is why I'm doing that again for my tw- May 23rd yes but I'm glad they think that cuz for the most part no one knows how much work went into that because right. it was all me right I wired everything. I made all the projections, and I and I calibrated the projector w- w- with John over at the museum. Like it was a very, it wasn't that different from what I normally do in my backyard. It just happens right. to be in a museum. Enormous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which which was enormous and tremendous. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, Mission Arcade, Mission Arcade was a fake. Well, I shouldn't say fake. Let's say this. It was a joke name I gave to my parties. And listeners to this podcast should know a little bit about Mission Arcade because you talked about it in your first episode with us. <laughs> so let's just breeze right over that because y'all need to listen to that before you listen to this. I do want to say that um, the impetus for the creation of the phrase Mission Arcade, the, you know, the very petty reason that I had for calling it Mission Arcade because I felt slighted by a film festival. They actually contacted me recently. Right. And I retweeted it because yeah. now I know that all the people that are that go to my parties know where it came from. So I had to retweet it so that people could see. It's like, look, it's still happening. Um, but anyway, Mission Arcade, yeah, that's um, 
that's just a chance for me to either showcase someone else's art or to take someone else's film screening and turn it into an after party that I will call Mission Arcade. Mm-hmm. And I'm, all, I, I'm like made of video games and electronic music. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, I'm also made out of folk music. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess, yeah, it's, it's really funny. I, I feel like you can, you, you, you can think of me as a sort of weird amalgam of like video games, electronic music, and Simon and Garfunkel and the Everly Brothers and the Mamas and the Papas. Like, Is it too reductive to say Filipino Stephen Merritt? Ooh. At Does that make you mad? Sorry. At least, no, no. At least that's specific. Because can I just say, there was something that ha- uh, Variety uh, said that I'm the Asian Stephen Merritt. And Shit. I'm a big Magnetic Fields fan. I, I, yes. I'm not so much a fan of like the, like the newer stuff, I think, because I think they, they, they became self-aware and they're like, oh, we're a joke, we're, we're, we'll, make, we'll tell jokes now. People laugh at our concerts, so we'll, tell, we'll make... I, I, sorry, Stephen Merritt, but that's you know the, how I feel. I feel like all of a sudden, like now, when I go to the concerts, like they're like laugh lines, like in, like in a sitcom now, as opposed to actually being intrinsically witty. Right. Wow, I sound really bitchy right now. I'm a big fan. Anyway, um, when Variety called me the Asian Stephen Merritt, I loved it. Okay. And then some other publication called me after I'm a ghost, the Asian David Lynch. And then some other publication after another album called me the Asian They Might Be Giants. Mm. And when I really thought about it, I was like, you know, Stephen Merritt is not that much older than me. He's not. Right. He's like 50. Okay. So he's like five, six years is older than me. only 50? Do, 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 do you see what I mean? It's, yeah. No, no I, he's 50 because he had that album, 50 Song Memoir, because he turned 50, one song for every year of his life. Okay. Um, and I remember thinking... We're contemporaries. Yeah. Why am I the Asian Stephen? Maybe Why he's the, he white the white H.P. Mendoza. You know? Um, exactly. So this is nothing against Stephen Merritt and right. nothing against uh, Magnetic Fields. But like, um, and this is not with anger, but whenever people say you're the Asian this, I'm like, yeah. Or, and I'll say, maybe I'm the Asian version of the white guy you just said. Um, I don't get any points for saying Filipino instead of Asian. Can I just say this? <laughs> you're the only one who said Filipino. I think for the most I'll part... People were saying, and oh no, can I just say this? You also said Stephen Merritt and not Magnetic Fields, so. Because it's him. You yeah. said electronic music and then you said folk. Yeah. And that's, besides you, that's where my. I actually don't know too many other people who would do the same thing. It's yeah. true. And it's not because I was trying to be Stephen Merritt. For the record. No. For the record, I didn't know about Stephen Merritt when I was doing my stuff. Exactly. It was, um, I found out from this guy that I slept with like in 2004. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to impress you because I want to get in your pants. Yeah. So I'm going to play some music for you. And he was, I think he was trying to impress me, too, by showing me, like, oh, well, you know, you know what you sound like? And it worked. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and he's great. Um, but for all and, we know, Stephen Merritt heard your music. Who knows? Who know- I, I, oh, I will say this, though. Um, people were comparing me to Stephen Trask for a while from Cheater. He was oh. also the lyricist from Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Okay. And it meant a lot to me to see my work being retweeted by him. Like, like, like that's currency, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I remember at that point thinking to myself, like, if I can get Stephen Merritt to retweet, what am I? T- yeah, right. Like, he'd be on Twitter, you know? Um, but I, I think now, now that I've met really young people who are getting into the music scene, who have talked to me and said that I've been an influence on them, I'm like, oh... I don't even know what that means, right. but it means something to you, and 
I will be flattered by that. I'll be I, I I'll be honored by that. Some of these people are way better than I am. It just in my in my own opinion, I'm like, you guys are talented. Like I don't know what you see in me. I don't know how I could how I could have inspired this. But That's because you're an artist. Well, here's the thing. I feel like they're Asian. I'm Asian. This is our world. Like I did I did take from the world that I. I, I, I inhabit and I kind of created my own thing without trying to be Asian just because I, I, I guess whatever I do is Asian right. by the end of me being Asian, right? But right. Um, I, I, I'd like to think that the stuff that I take from the world that I inhabit, which, you know, people could reduce to the quote-unquote white world, but I'm sorry, a lot of the people, no, it's not, it's not true. A lot of the people, a lot, a lot of my most inspiring artists that really kind of carve grooves into my DNA are not white. They just happen to be part of a world that's not necessarily mainstream. Right. 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 Um, so, if people want to take that from me, all the young people, all the young people making art right now, and they see me as some sort of influence, I'll see that as a chance to say, like, okay, yeah, the thing you're copying off of me—that super harsh electronic sound—that's from Alec Empire, or that's from another person of color from an electronic group called Atari Teenage Riot, or that's from Stephen Merritt, who happens to be white, but he is queer. Your influence. My influences, and these kids don't know that. You know, right? And I'm more than happy to say, like, if you like this, I feel like, oh my God, I'm like, the, I'm, I'm like verbally doing the related videos on YouTube. So our theme, we have a theme uh, every season. Seasons are a year, roughly 49 episodes. Our theme this year is we're still here. We're still here. Wait, can you? Oh yes. No, real quick, just because this is amazing. I, I want. No, no, hold the microphone to your mouth. I think there's something. Can I get both of you? Of course. Microphone and story desk. Yes, he's taking pictures of us right now. We're still here. Okay, we're still here. Do you? Can you? Because I know you've left several times. You're here now. Oh my God, several. You're right. Can't get away. Can you? What does that mean to you? We're still here. We're still here. What does that mean to me? In in 2021, what does "we're still here" mean to me in San Francisco? Well, it's interesting because, of course, I wasn't here for a, for for 2020. Um, I was in Japan, um, but we no, actually, no, I was gone for 2019. We were sent back from Japan at the beginning of the pandemic because IDEO, which is a company that my husband works for and I contract for, was afraid we'd be separated by the pandemic during a pandemic and they didn't know what was going to happen and everybody in Japan was sure they were going to be quote unquote the next Italy and if you remember what that means that's scary yes because at the point at that point <coughs> when Tokyo only had so many cases of covid they were already at max capacity and they would they thought okay we are sending you back and i was like okay good 30 days then gives us a chance to tie up loose ends no 9 days okay 20 days no 9 okay 2 weeks 9 couldn't fight it. They already booked the ticket. IDEO booked the ticket? Or? Yeah. Okay. So we got back, and I was like, I can't believe we're back in San Francisco. And I have a love-hate relationship with my city. I do. Um, and one day I'll be able to um, speak about it eloquently. Right now is not the time. Um, I just do have a love-hate relationship. I will say I'm leaning more toward loving it when seeing it through the eyes of a foreigner, meaning my husband. You know, he's from he's from very Portuguese New, New Bedford. He comes from a very ethnic enclave where he gets to come, he's always dreamed about coming to San Francisco and now he's here, you know? Whereas here I am always wanting to go to the East Coast. You know, he see, he's always like, why? But 
Um, in 2021, now that we're back, what's interesting is that Tokyo has given me a lot of perspective in so many different ways, especially having such easy access to the Philippines. When I, you know, I just recently helped my mother retire mm-hmm. to the Philippines after living most of her life as an American here in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and acknowledging all of the hardships she had as an immigrant in San Francisco, acknowledging right. all of the hatred she'd experienced. Right. You know, let's not pretend that stop Asian hate is a thing that we should start, suddenly start caring about now. Right. Racism has always been alive and well in, 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 in any American city. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just coming to a head. I think everything's coming to a head. So I feel like now, now we're at a point where we have to acknowledge that there is a reckoning for everything that you do. And if there's anything that you've ever done that is that is at the expense of another group of people. If anything you've done to get your success is punching down, you're going to pay for it. Um, And I mean that for all of us. I'm not talking about like, hey, I'm a brown guy talking to you white people. That's not what I mean. I'm not saying that. And and I'm sure that to a lot of people outside of our um, party or our side would think that that's what it sounds like. I'm not saying that at all. Because I'm I'm even saying that as a man, as a male, as a cisgender guy. I'm saying that too. There's a reckoning for me as well. You know, like we all have done a lot of wrong. There's a lot of time for us to reflect on what we can do better. So we're still here, I think, like at, at, at its most basic for me on a personal level. It's for me to say, hey, guess what? Me and my people were part of the creation of this city that you enjoy the benefits of on a daily basis. And we're still here. Please acknowledge that I'm your neighbor. I've been here for the longest time. We've been here for the longest time. Um, And that ties directly into the Stop the Asian Hate thing where I kind of feel like, you know what, I'm not saying this to the people, I'm not just saying this to the people who have been literally, literally attacking us. You know, I'm talking about the people who who are, are kind of tangentially part of the attack by saying, oh, it's not that bad. Or the people are saying, like, well, it's only a few cases. Right. You know, it's like, no, but you have to understand, this is kind of a fear that we live under. My mom is scared. She, by the way, my mom's back. She's Here. back in the Bay Area, yeah. Okay. Yeah, she because she's applying for her dual citizenship, so she has to come back for a little while. Okay. But she's afraid to leave her place. She's, right. in, she's, in, she's in the East Bay, and she's afraid. Right. Lots of people are afraid. I'm afraid for people. I'm not as afraid as they, as, as, as they are because I'm a homebody. <laughs> so, I've, I, you know, and, and I've been very busy with work, so I've been staying home. But I won't lie. Sometimes I leave the house with my husband. We go for walks. And I'm suggesting new routes because I'm like, hey, let's just be careful. I want to stay in well-lit areas. And my husband's like, why? You love going through the dark alleys. I'm like, yeah, not this time. Not now. Um, so, you know. We're still here, you know. I, I think a lot of times people, that that could sound like we're still here. Get used to it. But at this point, it's kind of like we're still here. Please take care of us. Also, please remember that we're here. We are neighbors. Now, on a larger, uh, on a larger platform, um, and not and not 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 in the way you're thinking. This isn't like me saying like we're here. We're queer. I'm buying you a beer. This is like <laughs> this is also like hey to everybody who felt like we didn't matter. You know. This mean this this part means a lot to me. I feel like the past four or five years, I've been with my friends and family who feel like we've been slowly erased. Um, and that sounds dramatic, but 
as a songwriter, how else do you expect me to speak, right? right, right. I feel like when I when I say erased, I don't mean literally that you're taking our history books and taking like an eraser to it. What I mean is you're kind of. I feel like we we um, we all. And I'm talking about even the three of us that are sitting right here in this bar right now, in this very specific bar. Um, we've been delegitimized over the past four or five years. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been made to look like people who are just kind of on the fringes, who don't deserve any respect, who don't deserve the freedoms that everybody else in the country has, uh, because we dared to be ourselves. Right. And I feel like there was a point in time where. I would speak to any of my friends who are part of our circles here, like you know, and th- these are people that you know. Like these are my neighbors, my friends, and cohorts and colleagues who do feel like after a while we were like, you know what? Like, and this is never publicly, but only said like within like, like certain situations, uh, certain um, um, contexts, where they would kind of crack and say like, maybe they're winning, mm. you know. Defeating, yeah, defeating it's, it's, defeated, it's, it's yeah. a very specific feeling. It's like maybe they're winning. Right. Maybe we should leave. Right. And you know what? That was kind of part of the the exodus that we were all kind of like experimenting, experimenting with a few months ago. Mark and I went to the East Coast for a while. We were in the country. We were in rural Massachusetts and Maine, you know? Wow. And um, because we were just thinking to ourselves, like, well, the cities have gone to shit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and there's something interesting that happened because we were in the East Coast while, while all while we, while we while a lot of us, not just me and Mark, a lot of us were feeling this. We were in the East Coast. We were and and specifically in New York, we were there when Biden won. Okay. And when Biden won, there was this feeling of like, oh well, that's fantastic, of course. And we went to Diane Paragas's house. She's the director of Yellow Rose. She invited us all over. We didn't even know Biden was gonna win. Right. Because why would you think that? Right. With everything that happened before that, you were, of course, we were like, yeah, well, Trump could win again. Even after November 7th. Yeah, right, exactly. Until whatever it was uh, that he was There was a whole, like, Especially a January swath 6th. of time it was like, what? in which we were like, well, but wait, wait, wait for the other shoe to drop, right? Yes. So we were just going to go to her apartment to celebrate the, uh, the release of her film. And we went there, and we were watching the inauguration, and there we were. It's like two Filipino filmmakers, or three Filipino filmmakers, um, a Portuguese husband of a filmmaker who's a designer and animator, and 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 and, and another filmmaker who was there who was white. So it felt like there was this moment where we all shared, where we were all watching the inauguration. We're like, here we are. Look at look at what we represent right here. Maybe this is going to be okay, you know. And I remember at that moment, that was the first inkling I I I I, I, I had where I was like, maybe it's okay okay to go back home. That was H.P. Mendoza. On the next episode of Storied San Francisco, we'll get to know cartoonist Jaime Crespo. Episode 12 drops next Tuesday. Music for the podcast was produced, performed, and curated by Otis McDonald. Original photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. Aaron Lim of Bitch Talk Podcast is our contributing producer. And the show is produced and hosted by me. Jeff Hunt. Now in our fourth season, we have more than 150 episodes available on our website, storiedsf.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you can, subscribe, rate, and review our show so we can reach even more folks. And if you'd like to drop us an old-fashioned email, we'd love that. The address is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. 
Stay safe, stay strong, stay healthy, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is a proud member of the BFF.FM podcast network. Learn more at podcasts.bff.fm. BFF.fm, best frequencies forever.